The Lord is my shepherd, to feed, to guide, and to shield me. I shall not want. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still and quiet waters. He refreshes and restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to protect and your staff to guide, they comfort and console me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell forever throughout all my days in the house and in the presence of the Lord. Good morning. Yes, um, Psalm 23, it's not unusual, is it? Probably all know it by heart, I would imagine. We sing it in different tunes. Gary said, oh, how unusual, when I told him what was preaching. But like Peter said, God's laid it on my heart, and it is extraordinary. I'd like to look at Psalm 22, just a few verses of Psalm 22 first, leading into Psalm 23. This is about the Lamb who died to save us. And that Lamb that died to save us is the shepherd who lives to guide us. It's prophetic. Psalm 22, written by David, and it's Holy Spirit inspired. If you read in 1 Peter 1, verse 10, Psalm 22 is all about our salvation. Verse 10, regarding this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace of God that was intended for you, searched carefully and inquired about this future way of salvation, seeking to find out what what person and what time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glories destined to follow. So the Spirit of Christ spoke these words to David, indicating the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And that's what Psalm 22 is about. It's about Christ dying for his sheep. It's an accurate description of the crucifixion. Written 1,400 years before, or something like that. It's a cry of anguish. And a song of praise. Those things should always go together. Anguish and praise. Reminds me of that 
Isaiah 61, I put on my garments of praise and the spirit of heaviness is gone from me. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Jesus chose to be cut off from his father. That's hell, to be in a place where God isn't. Imagine the world without love. Verse 6. But I am treated as a worm, insignificant and powerless, and not a man. I am the scorn of men and despised by the people. He was despised and he was rejected by the people that he loved. And as followers of Jesus, we can expect opposition from those that we love. All who see me laugh at me and mock me. They insultingly open their lips. They shake their heads saying, He trusted and committed himself to the Lord. Let him save himself. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Now that reminds me of a song. Some of us are going to Messiah. I always want to sing that bit. For he delights in him. Verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted by anguish within me. My strength is dried up like a fragment of clay pottery, and my dry tongue clings to my jaws, and you have laid me in the dust of death. Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. He that gives living water, so we never thirst again. Verse 16, For a pack of dogs have surrounded me, and a gang of evildoers has encircled me, They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my clothing among them and cast lots for my garment. Verse 30. Posterity will serve him. They will tell of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born, that he has done it and that it is finished. He cried with a loud voice and gave up his spirit and the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom by God. I imagine from the inside... That veil was as thick as a man's hand, according to Jewish tradition. No more veil. The old temple wall still stands, and the Jewish people line up, praying against the wall, because that's the nearest they can get to a holy God. That's the holiest place for them. It's the nearest they can get to the holy sanctuary. When I went... And um, where are you? There you are. <laughs> when you go, you will go to the, the wall. 
And I, went, I, I looked on, there was a bar mitzvah happening and it was all lovely, amazing. And I went and I just put my hands on the wall and I just closed my eyes and I just said, thank you, Lord, that the veil is torn in two and that we can get so close to you that we have become a temple. We are the temple. Each one of us is a temple now. And God lives in us. Religion teaches there is still a curtain. But in Christ, we're all back in the garden. We can walk with God and talk to God wherever we are. This is God's great plan. There's no plan B. This is it. The good shepherd gave his life for the sheep once and for all. And because of that, we have Psalm 23. So, take a deep breath. Let it out. And relax. Sit down and relax. Because this psalm is all about the Holy Spirit. The Comforter. The Comforter has come. The Comforter is here. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. David speaking. David knew all about this. He'd been a shepherd. David is very important in the Bible. He's the second most mentioned person next to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the root and the offspring of David. And David's credentials when he volunteered to fight Goliath were, I have rescued a lamb from the mouth of a lion. And another time, I rescued a lamb out of the mouth of a bear. David was a good shepherd and he became a great leader. As many other characters in the Bible have, Moses was a shepherd, Abraham was a shepherd, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, all great leaders. I went on holiday a few years ago to Scotland with my sister and my friend. And we spent the whole time we were there just gazing around us in wonder. We were up in the highlands and it was just so beautiful. We kept saying, is this planet Earth? It was so beautiful. And we went to the Isle of Skye for the day and we were driving down a country lane we're on our way to visit a castle. We could see the turrets in the distance, so we were just heading that way. And it was springtime, and everywhere we went, there were lambs, stuck down hillsides, stuck in bushes, crying, lost, everywhere. And uh, we tried to rescue one lamb because it got half a tree stuck on its backside, and it was really struggling. So my sister went and tried to help it, but it just bleated and ran away. So oh, it's up to you then if you don't want any help. <laughs> we were driving down a country lane and we saw this lamp in the road ahead of us, crying. We could see this, the sheep 
in the field next to us. This lamb had obviously got out. Well, we can't just leave it. We couldn't drive round it. So we got out and I tried to help this lamb. And um, I just made matters worse. Just ran further away from the field. So I got back in the car and said, well, that didn't go well. So we just carried on our journey. It was a lovely sunny day. And in the distance, in the field, we saw a woman with two lambs. So I thought, hmm, perhaps if we, you know, we can ask her, tell her about this lamb that we'd seen. So we, we kept our eyes on her when we were driving nearer to her. And as we got nearer, we realised it wasn't a woman, it was a man in a kilt. And there weren't two lambs, there were two white Scotty dogs. And... Um, as we got nearer, we realised he wasn't just wearing a kilt. He had the whole Scottish outfit on, with a tweed jacket and a hat and everything. And um, he shouted out, excuse me. So he went around and he bounded across the field and he jumped over the fence and he came and he looked in the, looked in the window and went, hello, ladies. And we were all giggling by this time because he was very handsome. And... Um, we, said, we told him about this lamb that we'd seen. He said, oh, thank you very much. I'll go and sort it out right now. Thank you for telling these ladies. And off he went, stalked off back into the field and on his way to look for the lamb. So we all giggled all the way to the castle then. Sad but true. <laughs> when we got in the castle, there were photographs on the wall. And we saw this man on the wall in a, photo, in a frame. We went up close and looked at it. He was the Laird of Sky. We were in love by this point. We had sent the Laird of Sky, the chief of the clan MacLeod of MacLeod, the real-life monarch of the Glen, to rescue a lamb. If you know anyone that's astray... You can pray to the King of Kings, the great shepherd of the sheep. And if you've gone astray yourself, you can just bleat. The Lord is your shepherd, the great, your greatest treasure. I shall not want, lack, any good thing. Psalm 34, verse 10. They that seek the Lord by right of their need and on the authority of his word, none of them shall lack any beneficial thing. This is a promise. You can know this. You can know, really know this and believe it. Even if you have very little. When you know this, for sure, you will always be generous. You'll never worry about money. And you'll always be, give. Two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This speaks of more than enough. This is all about the Holy Spirit. When a, a sheep lies down in the green meadow, it's because they've eaten enough. There's nothing else to do now. They've eaten enough. They can just rest and lie down, surrounded by more than enough. And that's the Holy Spirit. There's more, we have, there's more than enough 
And God wants us to have more than we've already got. He leads me beside the still waters. This is a path of peace. This is not peace when you have a day off or when you go on holiday and you get a chance to relax. This is permanent refreshment daily. The Holy Spirit always, always more. There's always more. This is the, what God has put on my heart over the last few weeks. I've got more. I've got more. Verse 3. He restores my soul. This is your whole personality, your emotions. This is inner healing. When Jesus stood up in Nazareth in the synagogue, Jesus was a rabbi, as you all know, a Jewish rabbi. He chose his disciples and he spoke in parables. That's what Jewish rabbis did. He wasn't doing anything unusual. He was an accepted rabbi and he stood up in the synagogue and he preached from Isaiah 61. I'm sure Jesus knew the scriptures off by heart. And at the end of it, he, he, he talked about, I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted. That's not instantaneous healing, is it, binding up? When you bind something, you start the healing process, don't you? You cleanse the wound and then you bind it and the healing process starts. And, he st- and at the end of it, he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. That's when Jesus became more than a rabbi, when he revealed himself to be God in the flesh. Always more. Verse 3, he leads me in the path of righteousness. There's a gentleness and a quietness about this. He leads me. We have to let him. We have to follow. Jesus says, obey, obey, obey me. I am the way. Believe, 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 obey. Obey. It doesn't say it in a loud voice. Obey, oh wretched one. It's a still small voice. Obey. Believe me. Follow me. Come after me. This way. This way. Obey me. Where did Jesus go? To the cross. We have to die to our selfish nature. We have to cut it off and pluck it out. Follow me, Jesus said. It's for your own good. Follow me. Why for his name's sake? That doesn't mean his reputation. That's because of who he is. That's the reason we follow him. Because we love him. My daughter was trying to get her six-year-old son to do as he was told. Not an easy task. And, and I heard her explaining to him, I want you to do this that I've asked you to do. Because you love me. Mm, that was a new thing. I want you to do it because you love me. That's why Jesus wants us to obey him, because we love him. We don't obey him for forgiveness. We don't obey him so he'll love us and have mercy and grace upon us, because that's all freely given. But he wants us to pursue his presence. He wants us to go after him. Verse 4. Though I walk through the valley 
of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I have a, a man um, doing the roof and the walls of my house. He's been there months because it's never stopped raining. So when he arrived, he looked like he should have had um, a guitar, an electric guitar and be shaking his head because he has long hair, tattoos, ear piercings. Um, and he, he st- stood there in my lounge and he, and he just got saved quite recently. Tony, Rosie's husband, had led him to the Lord. And he said to me, I'm not frightened of death anymore. And his face was glowing. A shadow can't hurt you. And that's what death is. It's just a shadow. Fear comes from the enemy. And we have to fight the enemy with a sword, which is the word. So whenever fear comes upon us, we say, God is with me. God is in me. I am in God. I have the power. I have the authority. I have the victory always. Your rod and staff comfort me. Now a rod is not a hit to be hit with a stick. That wretched verse that's been misinterpreted, in my opinion. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Can you imagine Jesus hitting a child? <laughs> and there's a picture, isn't there, of a shepherd with a, the lamb on his shoulders. And apparently it was preached in churches that the shepherd used to break the legs of the lamb that went astray to stop it going astray and then put it over his shoulder and carry it till the legs heals and by that time the lamb will have learnt to stay near the shepherd what a load of rubbish <laughs> that is just not true the rod was a stick it was used to count the sheep and protect the sheep from wild animals the staff was to lean on like a cane or a walking stick. It gave the shepherd a longer arm to steer in the right direction, to guide the sheep into a pen. So it allow the Holy Spirit to sort us out and the good shepherd does not beat us with a stick. Verse 5. <coughs> I've had a frog in my throat all morning. As soon as I finish preaching, it'll go. (coughs) You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This was an ancient Hebrew tradition. The rich invited only the important and worthy to their banquets. And they were always held outside. Wouldn't work in this country, would it? Who's managed a barbecue this summer? Nobody. (laughs) We went camping and we managed to eat outside once. But it was... wasn't very pleasant, really. The king's favoured were on the guest list. And others looked on in envy. The enemies looked on. 
They couldn't sit at the table. Put yourself in this position now. Your enemies are not flesh and blood. They can't sit at the table. And they can't stop you from taking your seats. There is a plentiful provision. You have been made righteous. And you can feast in the king's presence whenever you want to. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. What a picture of the Holy Spirit. It was customary in hot climates to anoint the body with oil to protect from, I've got here, excessive perspiration, but just means sweating, don't I? You mix the oil with perfume and it makes the body refreshed and invigorated. Athletes anointed their bodies before a race because they were better fitted for action. When you come into the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and I have got a book recently when I went to faith camp by Smith Wigglesworth, and it's Daily Devotions by Smith Wigglesworth. So every day it uses a different scripture, but it all is about the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, this is what this is talking about. This is the cup overflowing. You are in perfect order. Like a well-oiled machine. And he talks about it as a graduation. And I thought about that. I thought when you first become a Christian, you're like a baby and you, you take the milk of the word And then you get older and you start eating the meat of the word and you go through school and college. And Smith Wigglesworth describes the fullness of the Holy Spirit in you to be like a graduation. It is when he drove out of San Francisco, he drove out of mist into sunshine. That's he describes as being having the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You can't control the Holy Spirit. It's um, like the wind. It's like fire that spreads. There's more, more, more than enough. And why is there so much? Why is the Holy Spirit, why does God want us to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? To reach others. And that's the only way we will. This is God's plan for us, that we are overflowing for the sake of others. The Holy Spirit always reveals Christ. Smith Wigglesworth again. Having a measureless measure of the might of a spirit in the inner man. Having a measureless measure of the might of the spirit in the inner man. A measureless measure. That's, this is when an ordinary Christian becomes extraordinary. This is when you're never ordinary again. This is when life gets exciting. This is when Christianity isn't just going to church on a Sunday, doing a few good works, paying your tithes. This is what God wants for us. When I went to faith camp, Colin Urquhart was speaking and he said, there are three types of Christians. There's the carnal Christian. That's the Christian who just worldly, self-seeking, commits sins here and there, but still a Christian. Still going to heaven. Then there's a soulish Christian. Relies on self and own opinions. But reads the word and 
prays and goes to church and and then is a spiritual Christian. Submitted to God. Listen to God. Obey God. Complete dependence on God. I don't know about you, but I want to be a spiritual Christian. That's my goal. I want to be I want to have everything that God wants me to have. I want to have everything that Jesus died for me to have. I want as much of the Holy Spirit as I can contain and more besides. But it's a choice. You can choose to just be a Christian, do whatever you want to do, live your own life. When you die, you'll go to heaven, hallelujah. Or you can be totally submitted to God, totally dependent on him, and lead a really exciting, amazing life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I took my two grandsons to the zoo, to Blackpool Zoo. One six-year-old, one three-year-old. Never again. <laughs> the six-year-old ran ahead. The three-year-old lagged behind. I could have done with two dog leashes. And all the paths were windy. So every time I turned around to check Joseph, he'd gone. So I went and found him. And he'd be sitting on the floor, playing with a leaf. All the time in the world. Meanwhile, Noah probably been eaten by lions who was that far ahead. But it's, I can see that a picture of children with an adult. And I walk down the road with Jacob. He just walks beside me and it, when we get to a road, he holds my hand. Or when the boys go ahead in the scooters, when they get to a road, they stop and wait for me. And we all get together and cross the road together. That's a picture, isn't it? of how we should be with our saviour, with our shepherd. We had an incident in the care home on Tuesday night. One of the, uh, as you know, work at Abba Care Home, probably most of you know Rose and Tony. One of the men had gone missing. He went out for a walk at five o'clock. And the rule is, if he's not back in two hours, you call the police because he's a danger, danger to himself. But he only usually wanders around the hills, goes to a local farm to get some eggs, and he's back. Didn't come back this time. And I got a phone call from somebody who lived near Baycourt that they'd seen him, and he was really tired and sitting on a wall. So Rose said, he'll have, he'll have had a drink, because, as you know, um, they have a Korsakoff psychosis, which uh, is like a brain brain damage through alcohol. And he'd, he's the one in the home that does still crave alcohol, although he'd been good. But Rose thought he's a, you know, gone, not gone into Baycup for any other reason. So the search party went out then. We all drove, we'll take turns driving up and down Burnley Road into Baycup, checked all the pubs, checked all the bushes and the farms and the lanes, out with torch in the pouring rain, by the way. Um, couldn't find him. We'd, and Rose, Rose and Pat went out again and looked in all the places, all where he'd been last seen. Couldn't find him. Police were called. Checked the hospitals. Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And we sat there. It was really late at night, probably going on for midnight. And Rose just said, you go to bed, Janice. Um, I'm going back out. And she sat up in the chair, and this look came on her face. 
She said, I'm going back to that wall and I'm going to get my torch and I'm going to search over the wall because it's like a ravine. I'm going to search and I think he's fallen off that wall into a ditch. I'm going to search. And she went back out at midnight with Tony and, Ro- and Pat and they found him. He'd been lying in a ditch for five hours in the pouring rain. And they got the um, emergency services and they all came treated him for hypothermia in the hospital. And they all said if he hadn't found him, he'd be dead. He would not have survived the night in that condition. And I just saw the Holy Spirit speak to her. She just suddenly went, I'm going to that wall again. And the Lord led her to him. And I believe, because he's a Christian, he's a Christian, this man, that goodness and mercy were following him, even though he'd gone down, down, down into his darkness that he'd come out of, even though he went right back into that darkness. Goodness and mercy followed him. And the Lord led Rose to find him. Wonderful. Because Rose is full of the Holy Spirit. And so she heard God speak to her and tell her where to go. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is wonderful, this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is talking about life now. I'm death. And life after death. But it's now. Charles Spurgeon is my Facebook friend. I've got quite a few. I've got J.C. Ryle, A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, Peter Bill. And Charles Spurgeon says this about this verse. And I love this. While I am here, I will be a child at home with my God. The whole world shall be his house to me. And when I ascend into the upper chamber, I shall not change my company, nor even the house. I shall only go to dwell in the upper story of the house of the Lord forever. Because the kingdom of God is here. Eternal life is now. That's what God wants for us, to know him and be so deeply, intimately acquainted with him that we know his pow- the power of his resurrection in us, working through us. We are with the Lord now, forever. We are dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, now. It's not dependent on the flesh or who we are, where we live, could be in prison, could be in the third world, whatever our situation is. We are dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Let's just pray. I'm going to read the psalm, but I'm reading it as a prayer. Thank you, Lord. You have become our shepherd. You feed us. You guide us and you shield us from harm. I shall not be in wants. Thank you, Lord. That you meet all our needs according to your riches in glory. Thank you, Lord, that we can lie down in green pastures. You give us rest. You lead us beside still and quiet waters. We can have calm 
and we can have peace even in the midst of turmoil. Thank you, Lord, that you refresh and restore our souls, all our emotions, our hurts, our brokenness. Thank you, Lord, that you lead us where you want us to go. Even when we go astray, Lord, you rescue us and you bring us back to that place where you want us to be. And even though we walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil, for we know that you are with us, Lord. We know that your rod will protect and your staff will guide. We know, Lord, that you will comfort and console us because you are our comforter. We thank you, Lord, that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies and that you have anointed and refreshed our heads with oil. Lord, let our cups overflow with your spirits. Thank you for your promises to fill us to overflowing. Help us to seek you and seek you and yearn after you and pursue you until this happens to us, Lord, and can all be full, full of you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that goodness and mercy follow us every moment of every day. And thank you, Lord, that we will dwell forever in this life and for eternity in your house, Lord, in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The Lamb who died to save us is the shepherd who lives to guide us. Amen.